the rest of us, if we could track down a Bible, there are Bibles in the racks in front of you, in the chair in front of you, and we're in Proverbs chapter 9, which in the Bibles we have here should be on page 548. 548. Proverbs chapter 9. I will read the chapter, then I'll pray, and we will get to work. Proverbs chapter 9, starting in verse 1, reads like this. Wisdom has built her house. She has set up its seven pillars. She has prepared her meat and mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her servants, and she calls from the highest point of the city, Let all who are simple come to my house. To those who have no sense, she says, Come, eat my food, and drink the wine I've mixed. Leave your simple ways and you will live. Walk in the way of insight. Whoever corrects a mocker invites insults. Whoever rebukes the wicked incurs abuse. Do not rebuke mockers or they will hate you. Rebuke the wise and they will love you. Instruct the wise and they will be wiser still. Teach the righteous and they will add to their learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. For through wisdom your days will be many, and your years added to your life. If you are wise, your wisdom will reward you. If you are a mocker, you alone will suffer. Folly is an unruly woman. She is simple and knows nothing. She sits at the doors of her house on a seat at the highest point of the city, calling out to those who pass by, who go straight on their way, Let all who are simple come to my house. To those who have no sense, she says, Stolen water is sweet. Food eaten in secret is delicious. But little do they know that the dead are there, that her guests are deep in the realm of the dead. Let's pray. Lord, as we've opened your word together, we're praying that you, by your spirit, through your word, would speak. And I pray that you would help us in this moment to make a choice as to whose company we plan to keep. Help us to choose wisely and become wise people. Lord, warn us, warn our hearts of the danger of folly and the destiny of those who go that way. So, Lord, we commit this time to you. We ask that you would use it to bring glory to your name. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, this is the end of the prologue, the nine chapters of Chapters 1 to 9 of Proverbs lead us into Proverbs proper, which is the body of the book where there are uh, statements, just little one-liners that give us little nuggets about truth and about the way that God has made the world. But the prologue is really the introduction then to how we ought to relate to wisdom. And here at the end of the prologue, we're being presented with a choice. We're being presented with two different banquets. And we have to decide which banquet will we attend, which table will we find ourselves sitting at, and we need to make that choice. The the Bible here is, is basically setting us up to say, hey, listen, we've been talking about this for a long time, but today's the day that you choose, so choose wisely. And we have these different banquets then that come to us, uh, Wisdom's Banquet and the Banquet of Lady Folly, and um, they're, they're both inviting, they're both encouraging people to step in and to join, and we have to decide which way are we going to go, and the outcome of these are significant. 
we're not just choosing the company that we keep, but we're choosing the destiny that we're pursuing. In fact, you'll notice in the language here, it's, it's a choice between life and death. It's a choice between going with Lady Wisdom and sitting at her table and finding life, or it's the choice of going in the way of folly with Lady Folly and finding ourselves going down to the realm of the dead. So it's significant, and I want you to feel that. The choice that we'll make today is incredibly significant. So first, let's look at Wisdom's Banquet, verses 1 to 6. There's a, a woman named Lady Wisdom, and she has prepared a feast. Wisdom in these chapters has been personified as Lady Wisdom, and she is preparing a banquet for all who will come and sit at her table. The kids, uh, Ash and I, have been reading the kid version of Pilgrim's Progress, and in there, it's Lady Wisdom. And she's in there, and she's one of the characters that the kids are interacting with, and they find themselves at her table listening to her and asking her questions. And we were reading about it, I think it was last night, maybe it was two nights ago now. But we were, we were at that section in the story, and they, the kids were amazed by her, by just how pleasant it was to be with her and the, the lessons that she had for them. And they were kind of thinking through, like, everyone should be here. And when you go out and you invite people to this, we imagine that everyone just hears your invitation and gladly comes. And she goes, no, that's not the case at all. She says, I've been to your city many times. I've been to the place where you used to dwell many times. And I would go to the, to the corner of the city, to the public places, and I would invite people to come in. I would go to the highest point of the city and I would cry out for anyone to come in and, and receive my wisdom. And many people hated me and they insulted me and they mocked me. And the kids were stunned by this. But what we have then is this lady wisdom who is saying, come and join me and benefit from all that I can give you. She builds a place, verse one, wisdom has built her house. She set up its seven pillars. She's made a space that's available for us to experience her lessons. And I would say, as we noticed last week, wisdom is, a, is an architect. It's, wisdom is an artisan, a, a craftsperson who's making stuff. Wisdom has built this world that we live in and has built this house in which we could enjoy fellowship with wisdom itself. She has set it up so that we might experience her. She set the table for us in verse 2. She's prepared her meat and her mixed wine. She's also set her table. She's made all the arrangements for us. And now she's inviting us to come. Verse 3 and 4, she sent her servants out and she calls from the highest point of the city, let all who are simple come to my house. The invitation is very open, very warm, very welcoming. Go and bring in anyone who will come and sit at my table. All the preparations are made. All you have to do is simply come. Verse 4, to those who have no sense, she says, come and eat my food and drink the wine that I have mixed. So it's amazing because she's saying to people who are passing by, people who are simple, who have no sense, who are ignorant of the things of God, she's saying to them, if you will come in, you will receive from me all kinds of amazing things, the food and the wine that I have prepared. You can come and sit at this table. Bruce Waltke puts it like this. He says, with amazing grace, she who belongs to the heavenlies speaks to those numbered among the fools. So, so he, she's able to invite people in and they're not the well put together individuals, they're the senseless ones, they're the ignorant, they're the fools. And that's good news for me. I look at how God often condescends to speak to me and he says, okay, I'll take you where you're at. 
You don't have to figure out life and get it all put together. You can, you can be a person who just simply shows up, which is hard for us to do, right? If you get invited to somebody's home and, you know, they welcomed you in and you're, you're thinking about, okay, if I'm going to go to this thing, Ash and I do this all the time. We do not want to show up at somebody's house without bringing something that would be appropriate for that occasion. In fact, my wife won't even let me go. Uh, sometimes I'm like, oh, whatever, it'll be fine. But she's like, no, you got to have something. That's how we often think about these things. We go, okay, if, if we're going to go, what do we have to do to be prepared for this? Can we bring a side? Can we bring a dessert? Can we bring something? And Lady Wisdom says, no, what you need to do is to just show up. And in fact, there is nothing that you can bring that will contribute to this. This is a, this is a gospel invitation. What Lady Wisdom is doing when she's crying out and saying, anyone who will join me, come to my table. This is a gospel invitation. It is saying, I have made the arrangements for you. And all you have to do is humble yourself enough to receive them. The prophet Isaiah, he puts it like this in Isaiah 55. He says, come all who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why, why spend your money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and you will delight in the richest affair. It's an invitation to come empty-handed and to receive from God all of the blessings that he has in store for you. The hard thing for us, though, is we have a hard time coming empty-handed. We want to contribute something to our salvation. But wisdom says, no, I've done the work. I've made the preparations. I've set the table. All you have to do is humble yourself and gladly receive. Verse 6, leave your simple ways and you will live. Walk in the way of insight. It's an invitation to receive life. Come to the table of wisdom and you will live. Walk in the way of insight. Walk in the way of wisdom because it's the way that God has made the world and it's the way that works. Again, I see this as a gospel invitation. The Lord himself in Matthew 22, he alludes to this when he tells a parable about a, a wedding banquet that was prepared. And the servants were sent out to populate that wedding banquet. Go out and receive my guests. Bring them in. Invite them to come. And some made excuses as to why they didn't come that day. They had all kinds of clever reasons for why they weren't going to attend that banquet. And he says, well, go back out and fill this place up. And he fills his wedding banquet. The Lord is preparing a feast for us. He, is, he has set the table. He has made all the rain, arrangements and all of the preparations. And what he does for us is he says, come. Come to me and receive all that he has in store. So who couldn't benefit from this? This sort of wild and lavish invitation. Who couldn't benefit from this? And, and honestly, the question that I have been wrestling with this week is why wouldn't somebody attend this sort of party? And I think we'll see that here in just a moment. But we have this uh, invitation then from Lady Wisdom, and then we have a parallel invitation from Lady Folly at the end of our chapter today. But in the middle, there's this parenthetical section. And I think what it does is it helps us to recognize the difference between the respondents. There are some who will gladly receive the the invitation, and some who will resist it very passionately. And so we see this in verses 7 to 12. 
Verse 7, whoever corrects a mocker invites insults. Whoever rebukes the wicked incurs abuse. It says that there is a kind of person who when they experience correction, they resist it violently. When they experience the correction of truth coming to bear on them, they receive that not, not as something that's a good thing, but they see it as a problem and they're actually resistant to it. They, they then respond with insults and they respond with a wicked behavior and abusive treatment of those who are bringing truth. In Pilgrim's Progress, Lady Wisdom was saying, yeah, when I cried out and invited people, many from your town insulted me. And that's exactly what happens when we try to correct somebody. Correction is this idea of applying God's truth to the particulars of a person's life. So if you know truth and you're trying to apply it to somebody and you're trying to speak to them and you're correcting them, if they're a mocker, if they don't want the truth, they're not going to receive that gladly. They're going to resist it violently. Verse 8 says, do not rebuke mockers or they will hate you. If you correct a mocker, they will come to hate your guts. They will see what you are doing as a problem and they will violently resist you. Now, I'm looking at verse 8 and I'm noticing that it tells us, do not do this. Do not correct somebody in this way or they will hate you. And I know that this is uh, a sidebar because the passage isn't really talking about it, but it got me thinking through, well, what are we supposed to do? So if we're not to rebuke, we're not to correct, verbally correct a mocker, because that just creates hatred, what should we do? And I think Proverbs tells us in other places, not necessarily here, but it, it's warning us that when we're dealing with people, if we're going to be wise, we have to pay attention to what kind of people we're talking to. We have to think through their, the disposition that they have. Because if they're resistant to truth, and I just lay it out there, you just lay it out there, it's not going to have the desired outcome that you want. If, if you're being faithful to what God actually does want. You, you should not use truth as a way to just bulldoze people without considering how it will affect them. Okay? So let, let me bring this into a more uh, common experience. When we are dealing with other people, and we have the Bible, and we have truth, and we think we know how it ought to apply to somebody, we should be very, very careful to pay attention to how they will receive it. If they are resistant to it, don't just keep marching forward and thinking, I'm just sharing truth, okay? That's on them if they don't receive it. I just am going to tell them how it is, and if they don't like it, so be it. It's like this. If you are in an argument with, with your spouse, and you think, I, I'm winning this argument, right? You're, you're proving yourself to be right and the other to be wrong. If you win an argument with your spouse, did anyone win? No. No, you might feel like you won. You might feel like, oh, yeah, I proved them wrong. But the truth is, when you do that, everybody loses. Everybody loses. In the same way, when, as a Christian with truth, if you just go out into the world and you just tell people how it is, regardless of how they might receive it or not, sometimes you might be doing more damage than good. I'm going to put it like this. You could be absolutely right and still be wrong. 
And what I mean by that is if your approach doesn't match God's desired aim, even though you might be saying the right things, if you're not attentive to how it might be received, you could be doing harm. If that person comes to hate you and becomes even more resistant to the truth, that is not a win for the gospel. We need to pay attention to the fact that there are people who are not ready to be corrected. And our job then would be to figure out what can we do to get them a little bit closer to being able to receive this in a way that would be helpful and lead to their transformation. So the, the mocker resists and hates correction. The wise, on the other hand, verse 8, goes on to say, they will receive correction quite gladly. Rebuke the wise and they will love you. If you correct a wise person, they will actually benefit from it. They will take that corrective work and they will change as a result of it. Now, that I'm just going to be straight with you. I often feel like the mocker in this situation. When I get corrected, I don't like it. I don't know if anyone else out there feels the same way that I do, but I pray that, Lord willing, maybe my initial response isn't my final response. So if I get corrected and I'm like, I don't like being told I'm wrong, but I hope that I would grow in wisdom and say, maybe I could warm up to this idea and eventually take on that correction and change. Rebuke the wise and they will love you. They take what you say to heart. Verse 9, instruct the wise, and they will be wiser still. Teach the righteous, and they will add to their learning. If you deal with a wise person, their disposition is to respond to truth with faith and obedience. They hear the corrective work, and they recognize, that is true, I need to change. So the wise hear this invitation quite differently than the mocker. The mocker hates it. The wise come to see it as beneficial. Then it's principalized for us in verses 10 to 12. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. In other words, it's saying the reason why the wise person is actually wise is because they have already made up their mind about God. The wise person has a fear of the Lord. The wise person knows that there is a God, a Holy One, and they are now trying to figure out how do I live in this world that the Holy One made and I'm, have a proper, I have a proper respect of this holy God, and I'm going to try to align my life to his desires for me. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Verse 11, for through wisdom your days will be many, and, your, and years will be added to your life. So there's a reward for dealing with the world in this way. There's a reward for acknowledging that there is a God who made this place, and trying to align your life to his desires. But then in verse 12, it tells us the difference. Okay? It just lays it out there for us. Here is why some people end up at Lady Folly's table and some people at Lady Wisdom's table. Verse 12, if you are wise, your wisdom will reward you. If you are a mocker, you alone will suffer. It's telling us how important it is to approach truth with the proper posture, with the proper heart. Be a wise person who hears that corrective work and responds appropriately. Well, Folly's Banquet now in verses 13 to 18, we're told that she is a troubling character. Verse 13, Folly is an unruly woman. She is simple and knows nothing. 
Another way to translate it is she's loud, undisciplined, and without knowledge. She has this disposition about her that disregards God. And everything about her character and her conduct communicates that, as we've seen in the previous few chapters. Lady Folly is trouble. And her strategy is very similar to that of Lady Wisdom. Lady Folly sits at the door of her house on a seat at the highest point of the city, and she too is making invitation. She is calling people to come into her home and to sit at her table and to experience the joy and the, the benefit of eating and drinking with her. As one commentator says, like her rival, Wisdom, Folly too sits at the heights of the city to compete for the attention of the masses. So she's standing there saying, hey, listen, come my way. Come my way and, and experience what I have to offer you. Verse 15, calling out to those who pass by who go straight on their way, let all who are simple come to my house. So there's a, two invitations that have gone out then, the one from Lady Wisdom and the one from Lady Folly. And Lady Folly is saying, come in, come in. Come to my house and experience what I have to offer you. Verses 16 and 17, to those who have no sense, she says, stolen water is sweet, food eaten in secret is delicious. She's appealing to the senses, and she's offering immediate gratification with a disregard for the things of God. You can come to my table, and you can enjoy it. It is delicious, it is sweet, it is enticing. And as we've seen, her appeal is often very enticing, and our sin nature gravitates in that direction. We often want to go that way, because that feels wonderful to us. But then we find out the severity of the choice. Verse 18, little did they know that the dead are there, that her guests are deep in the realm of the dead. In other words, it sounds so good, but when you evaluate it spiritually, you find out that that way leads to death. That way is death itself. Proverbs later on in chapter 14, will put it like this. There's a way that appears to be right, but in the end, it leads to death. Sometimes our intuition is absolutely wrong. We're making a choice in real time. We're choosing whether or not we're going to do something or not do something, and we think this is right. But when we see things from God's perspective and we begin to see the, the totality of the significance of the choice that, we, that we're making, we find out, no, what we intuitively thought was the right way to go actually leads to death. That's the severity of these sorts of decisions that we're presented with here. That's why the prologue is ending with this idea that there are two different banquets and you must choose. And you are choosing between life and death, and it is that significant. You are choosing between what wisdom offers and all of the blessing and all the benefits or what folly promises and her path that leads to death. So my question that I've been asking this week is this, why do some people make the wrong choice? Why do some people choose to do the wrong thing? And one of the ideas that I had here was that sometimes it's on account of our misinformed appetites. We look at the options and we choose something when we should have gone the other way because we actually just haven't thought through how much better one would be than the other. So if my wife says to me, hey, Cor, I was thinking for dinner, maybe we could ship the kids off and we could go on a date. Let's go to, um, let's do one of these things. Let's go to Marilyn Houston's steak joint, or we could have peanut butter and jelly at home. 
by the way, I love peanut butter and jelly. I eat it way too much. It's like my favorite lunchtime meal. But if she says, hey, you want steak or peanut butter and jelly? If I consistently said peanut butter and jelly, you might rightfully say to me, dude, I think you should try something different, right? I think you would be a little bit happier if you went in a different direction sometimes. I think that's what's going on here. When we think about why somebody would choose to go to Lady Folly's table, it's often because the appetite is misinformed. You think that is going to gratify you. You think that is going to bring you happiness. You imagine that if you go in this way, it's all going to work out just fine for you. But you don't recognize how significant the difference really is. You're not really paying attention to the choice that's being offered here. You're choosing something that oftentimes has immediate gratification versus wisdom, which often is a delayed gratification. And you're going, I'll just do this. This seems easy and nice and pleasant. And you're actually losing the real goodness that God has in store for you. C.S. Lewis, he puts it like this. He says, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. It's not that we are longing so desperately and, and what we're choosing, we're, we're just not feeling enough about it. He's saying the truth is we're, we're half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. We're choosing the wrong thing because we're naive. We don't really realize how big the difference is. He says it's like this. It's like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased. Okay? That may have slipped right by you. Here's what it's saying. Imagine a kid with nothing in a slum playing in the dirt, making little mud snowmen or whatever you call them when they're made out of mud, making their little stuff out of mud. And somebody comes up, mud men, thank you. Um, somebody comes up and they say, hey, uh, what would you think about going on vacation at the ocean? And the kid goes, I don't even know what the ocean is. And then just keeps playing. Says thanks, but no thanks. C.S. Lewis is saying that's what we're doing. When we choose Folly's table, Often what we're doing is we are trading down because we have no idea what it is that we're forfeiting. We are not recognizing the significance of the choice and we're thinking this is the best option that we've got when in fact God is saying, no, come to my table and enjoy my benefits and you will experience true joy and true blessing and true satisfaction. And the kid goes, I don't know what you're talking about. So how do we change that? How do we change that? I think what we have to do is we have to continually come back to the Bible to see the invitation that God is making for us and to keep reminding ourselves of that significant reality that at his table, it is the banquet of the lamb who was slain. And at his table are all of the blessings and the benefits of the one who made the world and invented joy and enjoyment. So we need to become people whose appetites are appropriately informed. We need to recognize the significant difference between being a mocker who hates correction, being the kind of person who when truth comes to us and says, hey, I you're doing this wrong and you need to reprioritize your life, the mocker says, get out of here. I don't, I don't like what you have to say to me. The mocker resists truth 
The wise person welcomes it, and we need to become wise people. Let me give you one more just real-time example. The choice that I'm talking about here is not a one-off choice. It's not just, hey, today we're going to choose to be at wisdom's table, and then once we check that off, we're done. That choice is in the rearview mirror. We'll never have to worry about it again. No, this is an ongoing choice that we're making repeatedly because the, the presentations are repeatedly offered. Let me give you one real-time example. Yesterday, Harrison got up at 5 a.m. I don't like that time of day in general. So he gets up at 5 a.m. He's ready to go. Uh, it's a long day. We're going to, to a birthday party at a water park, and Ash is working. And so here's the choice that I have to make, which I didn't get right, by the way. The choice that I have to make in that moment is, am I going to make it all about me? Am I going to do the things that come naturally to me, which is to be irritated and annoyed and frustrated, and then to misparent my own children and, and just spend the day making it miserable because I'm miserable? That's a choice. Or what does wisdom demand from me? Wisdom would say something like this. Get over yourself, dude. You'll sleep later. Don't worry about it. You've got kids who have things going on and you could be a great dad today. But that choice in that moment, it's not always easy, is it? The choice that's being presented to us, what feels much easier is the way of folly and to just react in our sin nature and just to go the way that feels natural and normal. Wisdom says, no, be better, do better, be a better daddy and love your children well. Harrison didn't like plan to sabotage the day. It's not like he's like, you know what? Tomorrow morning, I'm just going to wake up at 5 a.m. and ruin it for everyone. No, he's not planning to do that. He just woke up. So love your child and treat him well. So that choice will be repeatedly offered to you. Which table are you going to sit at? Are you going to be a wise person who welcomes the instruction of God's voice that is always correcting us? that is always refining us, that is always reminding us, we're not there yet. There's work to be done. And are we going to receive that gladly or will we become mockers who resist it? And there are plenty of mockers who attend churches. So let's not fool ourselves. We can sit here and we can nod our heads and, sit and, and then walk away going, I'm never going to change. I'm never going to do that stuff. The wise person says, no, I will onboard this. I will receive this. I will allow this to change my life. And here's why. Because what God has done is he's made a banquet for me. And he has this incredible marriage supper that he has prepared. And it is the marriage supper of the lamb. And I am the kind of fool who doesn't have any business being at that table. But he looks at me and he loves me and he invites me to be a part of this by faith in Jesus Christ. He invites me to come empty-handed with the only thing that I've got is my undeservedness of being there, my sin. And he says, look, I've made all the preparations. The table is set. The meat is here. The wine is here. The enjoyment is ready. Come and sit at my table. Because of that, because of his love for me, I want to be a wise person. And may we be a church full of wise people who gladly receive the truth of God in a way that can revise and change us because he has loved us so incredibly well in the sending of his son. Let's pray. Lord, 
help us to acknowledge the difficulty of that repeated choice that we make. Help us to acknowledge the tendency that we have to sit at Lady Folly's table. And today, would you remind us afresh of the significance of that choice, that if we persist in choosing the way of the fool, it leads to death. Lord, spare us from that. Help us instead to become sensitive and humble and willing to receive your corrective work. May your word by your spirit always have permission to, to invade our lives and force us to make revision because we're not living according to your design or your ways. Lord, may we be wise enough that we would welcome that, that you could do anything that you want, that you could say anything that you want, and we would respond with obedience of faith. Lord, I pray for my church community. I'm asking that you would make us a tribe of wise people who love hearing from you, even though it might be disruptive. Lord, help us to be wise. Help us to appreciate the, the love that you've shown to us in the sending of your son and the banquet that you've prepared. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.